the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, this is a real privilege and a high honor for me to welcome in studio, in person, uh, first-time guest here, actually. Uh, schedules, we've been trying to get this together, but finally they were able to align. First-time guest, he's the Speaker of the House of Representatives here in the state of Arizona. He is Ben Toma. And, uh, Mr. Speaker, welcome to the studio. It's good to have you here, sir. Thank you. Glad glad to be here. You are... Um, you. In and of yourself, are a very interesting person with a very interesting biography. And I will often start an interview with a first-time guest by asking them a little bit about themselves, a little bit of an autobiography. I'm going to ask you uh, a slightly different question. Give us a long autobiography because it deserves to be heard. Your story is a fascinating one, sir. Well, uh, thank you, first of all, for for the invite once again. Of course. I um. Yeah, so I was I was born in a city named Cluj, Romania, which I'm sure you've not heard of. However, the Cluj is the capital of Transylvania. Well, we've and heard of Transylvania. You've heard of Transylvania. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, of course, I didn't know it was spooky until I came to the U.S. That's right. But um, anyway, so that was in 1978. And um, a, a, a little bit of history. You know, uh, Romania was under uh, communism rule at the time. Ceausescu. And, no. That's right, Ceausescu. Mm-hmm. Who I met once, actually. I mean, not in person, but I, he actually came to the little village that we're in. But that's a whole different story. Uh, in any case, uh, I was, as, as I said, I was born in '78, and um, communism took all private property. Right? And they they centralized uh, all all these small towns, all the land around it. They centralized it in these collective farms, and they were actually called collective, collective in, in Romanian. And um, so my dad's job was to to run this uh, this this farm, which is to say, basically run the town that that we lived in. But he uh, was a known uh, Protestant Christian, which was not allowed um, as part of the communism, uh, you know, part of the communism. And so he, uh, when I was seven, I still remember strange people starting to show up at our house, and it was uh, the secret police, and um, they wanted to talk to dad, and then they showed up again, and. Um, and one time they even showed up and mom and dad weren't home and they just sat in the room with us. I was, again, I was seven. I was the oldest. They just waited in the room with us until mom and dad came home. Uh, of course, the creep factor has got to be up there for any parent. But anyway, that aside, um, my parents decided that it was time to go. And, um, and, and God worked it out in such a way that they were able to, to leave the country and uh, go on vacation to the country of Jordan where my dad had a relative. Um, of course, they couldn't take us with. We, they weren't allowed to do that. Uh, there's quite a story of how they were able to do that. But in any case, they left to Jordan, and after that, they applied for asylum in the United States. They waited their turn. They were in a refugee camp in Istanbul for seven and a half months, um, during which my little sister was born. And uh, then they got some sort of preliminary approval, moved to, to Greece for a little bit and uh, for, for, for a few weeks, and then another three months outside of Rome, Italy. Um, and then they finally were allowed to come to the U.S., at which point um, my mom was told that it's going to be another couple years before before we're united, uh, the children are able to come. But again, God is merciful, worked it out. Uh, just a few months later, 
Uh, communism, sh- communists showed up at our house. The secret police showed up at my grandma's house and gave us passports for the kids, four kids, and told us you have five days to leave the country. So grandma took us to the airport, put us on a plane to JFK and um, in New York, and uh, and that was it. And the U.S. government had no idea we were coming. Okay. So uh, the only people that did wait for us was actually a TWA employee because um, mom and dad lived in Portland at the time, Portland, Oregon, and um, and so uh, they, they were the connecting flight. Uh, I still remember that flight. It's funny how some things you just yeah. remember, but uh, I remember he, he's the one that took us through, you know, uh, immigration and, and, and all that, and then uh, put us on a on a flight. It was um, it was a giant 747. It was largely empty, hence TWA's bankrupt. <laughs> right. Anyway, hence, that's hence TWA thing. being yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, it's another funny thing I remember about that flight. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a little it was a flight to Seattle from JFK out uh, of New York City to Seattle, and um, it was largely empty. And from Seattle was the, the the little short hop to Portland. It was largely empty, and so. You have you know a bunch of slap happy jet lagged little sure. kids running around. Nobody speaks English, running around the plane, irritating everybody. And uh, I still remember um, there was that, again God's mercy a, a guy that happened to be Romanian that was on that flight going to Seattle. He heard us talking. First he told us off in Romanian, and then he asked us about <laughs> why we were doing this, and we told him we, what had happened, and we're by ourselves. And he's the one that uh, found out that we were actually going to Portland. And so he was able to instruct us and to flight attendants that that uh, that we didn't get off. Remember, this is pre nine eleven. Everybody can come in and off a plane almost sure. at will. So he's the one that stopped us from from getting off at the wrong at the <laughs> wrong stop. And that's how we ended up uh, in the United States. And that was in September of uh, eighty seven. Was the idea of your dad leaving Romania was it always to end up in the United States? Was United the United States his country of desire to move to, or was it just accidental or serendipitous that it became the United Look, States? Look, it's the dream of okay. anyone in communism to to come to the city on the hill, right? Okay. To, remember, this was Reagan. Mm-hmm. This was um, it was an amazing opportunity to come to the United States. Of course, they wanted to come here. However, they did consider going somewhere else. I mean, there were other countries that did offer them asylum, uh, but they did apply to. Come here and uh, uh, because they wanted freedom. I mean, ultimately, that's what it was: freedom to to pursue their their their, their religion. And you know, we're non Protestant. We're, we're, we're I'm sorry, we're Protestant non denominational Christians. It's not like we're some you know very exotic something or other. Um, but it, it, it's just it, it's land of opportunity. It's uh, it's what uh, so many people in in Eastern Europe dreamed of. And and to this day, by the way, Poland, Romania. Are, are some of the most pro-American, by far most pro-American countries uh, in Europe and anywhere in the world. That's kind of an interesting, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, even in just your brief autobiography as, as you cast it, as you pitched it. But that's something I do want to ask you about, which is this. There seems to be an investment uh, in this country in saying things about America that are exactly opposite of what you just said. Uh, running down America or treating America as a down market commodity. Uh, you can hear from elected officials in Washington, D.C. saying we are not a great country. We're never that great of a country. Um, and this this kind of thing would be alien to people in your situation or alien to the people of the Czech Republic or alien to the people of Poland. What 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 is that disconnect? And and if I might push you on this just a little bit, Speaker Toma, are the people who are here and say that about it, are they infused with some kind of um, alien imported Marxist backfill and philosophy? 
Well, it's hard to deny the last point. Okay. I mean, that must be what's going on okay. because the reality of it is anybody that's in, that's in that part of the world or at least was during that time in that part of the world uh, would do almost anything to be able to get out mm-hmm. and to bring their family with. Now, the reason people didn't leave often at that point was, again, you couldn't bring your family. It's it's hard. You know, it was dangerous. Uh, many fled. In, in the case of my parents, they were able to legally leave the country and then they applied and they, you know, again, got here legally. So everything's Everything's kosher from that perspective. But the there are many that fled, that that tried to swim across the Danube to try to get out. I mean, there's so many stories of those types of people, uh, many that drowned trying it. You know, um, so I think it's just a, a an ignorance of the reality of what every, everywhere else is really like. Um, and, and I think what, what should be done to all these people that say these things is that they should be forced to go and live in another country uh, for, for at least a year on their own and to try to figure it out and to try to deal with just, um, you know, deep, getting anything done in, in, in those countries. Try to start a business mm-hmm. anywhere else in the world. It's it's virtually impossible um, or, or unless you're already wealthy, which, of course, why would you start it to begin with, right? So it's one of those sort of catch-22 situations in that, situ- uh, in that scenario. So bottom line is they don't know how good we have it. They really don't. And if you don't, you don't even have to take my word for it. The fact that so many people are trying to get here, some of them legally, some of them not so much, that's a whole different issue. But the point is they're trying to get here because it is that much better here than it is everywhere else. Well, I've always uh, enjoyed the formulation of of the Gates test. Every country has gates. Uh, And the question is, which direction do people run when the gates are lifted? Do they run in or do they run out? This is a country that has gates. Even when they're closed, people are trying to run in. No one's trying to run out of the United States of America. And, no one, and, and there's a reason China doesn't have an illegal immigration problem, right? There is a, <laughs> let me take a quick commercial break. I want to stay on this with you. Education is a big theme for you, too, and it seems to me it's very much related to our understanding of a lot of these things. Speaker uh, Ben Toma, he is the Speaker of the House of Representatives here in Arizona. He is my guest. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, It's an easy uh, Twitter handle to remember or write down or just think about when you get home. If you're driving home in your car right now, it's at Rep Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It's a privilege and honor to have in studio with me uh, Speaker of the House of the Arizona House of Representatives, uh, Mr. Ben, the Honorable Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. You can follow him on Twitter at Rep Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. We were talking about his experience growing up in a communist country, in his case, Romania, and moving to the United States of America. And this, this, this odd thing, Speaker Toma, that for those of us that were uh, cognizant and, and had our wits about us circa 1989, 90, fall, around the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, there was this theory that, um, that you know, we had defeated communism. And yet there were a few of us, particularly those of us who were study, students of political philosophy, who said, not so fast. Uh, when you leap for joy, make sure no one's pulling the rug from under you, the ground from beneath you, because communism still existed in some other pretty important countries like China, for example, and it existed still in an interesting way in our, uh, in our humanities faculties across the universities in the United States of America. They didn't understand, our faculties didn't understand what your family lived with and understood and fled. Uh, Whitaker Chambers says, 
ultimately we all heard the screams. Your family heard the screams when they woke up from this uh, lethal slumber, if you will. Um, education is a big part of this, and I know it's been a big passion of yours. You're the author of some of the most substantial school choice legislation Arizona has ever seen. But talk to us about the relationship, if you will, between what our education system is doing to generate this more and more an increasingly positive view of this alien philosophy in America. You get the surveys yearly about students' views of capitalism and freedom versus their views of communism, and it's it's not going in the right direction. It's interesting. More and more young people are finding less and less wrong with communism and more and more wrong with capitalism. And I would love your thoughts on that, all of that, however you want to do it. Well, well there's a lot there, first yeah. of all. Um, you know, it, just, just thinking through this, I, the, the problem with communism it, from an intellectual perspective and from, a, from an attraction to someone that's young that doesn't have real-life experience is that it's very attractive on paper. I mean, you know, it's it's all about inclusion and, and everybody gets their, you know, whatever they need and they all get taken care of and their safety and, and in theory um, and everyone's equal. The problem is in the real world, whether that's in Europe or 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 China, as you said, uh, or any part of Asia for that matter. Uh, I mean, we've tried it in South America. We've tried it in Central America. We've tried it in uh, Cuba, which is pretty close to the U.S., uh, geographically speaking. And the, it's never worked anywhere. Because as I think it was Margaret Thatcher that said, you eventually run out of other people's money. And that's what's happened uh, with, with, with all of these economies uh, fundamentally. And even China only exists and has risen really uh, as, a, as a supplier to us and to Western Europe. So without that, <laughs> right, they're they taking could, our money because they ran out of their own. Right. Exactly. Right. We're I mean, propping so them. They're, right. they're, you know, they're, they're creating iPhones or whatever else for us. Right. But, but they, they live off of that. If we, if we weren't there, they couldn't rise right. At the point that, in other words, they're they're living off of us, if you will, mm-hmm. to oversimplify. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, one of the things that I did think about it, and, and you're right, by the way, we did get uh, what everybody thought was impossible, which was the universal school choice bill, um, and not just the, a, a new thing for Arizona, but first in the nation to do it. And now, amazingly, what's one of the coolest things about it is that now so many other states are doing similar types of um, uh, programs. But one thing that always struck me as very interesting about this country. It is a capitalist country. You know, we're all about choice. We're, you know, whether if you like a particular car, you can buy it. If you if you're not, you can buy a different car. Under communism, by the way, you had one choice if you could even get one uh, in Romania. Because I still remember that um, it, it, we happened to get one. But anyway, uh, and and yet when it comes to the K twelve system, it's a one size fits all, largely district. You know, philosophy. You, you send your child to the to and and the only people that don't have to do that are the people that can afford private school. So to me it's kind of interesting that you see you you have kind of an elitist system where where the where the where the wealthy have an opportunity to send their kids to a private um, school which in theory or at least in in practice has has the ability to, to to tailor their education to their particular needs of their child, but the average person doesn't really have that opportunity. So it just seemed wrong. It seemed very anti-American that type of system. And so it just seemed logical to me that we needed to make that change. And that we needed to to, to bring education into uh, into into the reality of, of what we live in from an economic perspective. And let me just say, I am not anti-district schools. I'm not anti-public education at all. 
I'm, I'm a big fan of, of some of the charter schools that we have, which are public schools. Um, I, we have, uh, I, did, I didn't mention this part, but my wife and I have been blessed with five daughters, and uh, they've grown um, here in, in, in Arizona. They were all born here in Arizona, and they, they've all grown up here. They've gone to different schools. Some of them have gone to public school. Some have gone to private school. Um, I'm sorry, to charter schools. And uh, we've even done a little bit of homeschooling during, during COVID. So we've used all of those options. And I think parents need to be able to do that. And quite frankly, the only way that you're going to have, um, the parents are going to have a real choice and a real check on the education system is if they have that ability at any moment to just, to just do something different with their child, um, which, you know, especially post-COVID, I think now the parents are really starting to realize what had happened in some of these schools. And again, some schools are great. I'm not attacking schools en masse. I'm just saying they now have an opportunity to keep, uh, to keep schools in check, which has been a, a huge wake-up call and uh, just a, a game change all, all the way across the nation. Now. I just have to ask you, uh, I want to spend a little more time on this issue in a moment, but I just have to ask you as a personal question, uh, Speaker Toma, you speak English better than I do. How did, that, how did you do that? I can't imagine. I can't imagine <laughs> well, coming to this country with a foreign language, an alien foreign language, and you being raised and able right. to be so articulate. Well, no one I, would know. No one would know. Well, okay. So, you know, everybody has got different talents. God wired each of us differently. And I happen to be, um, I guess, better at it than, than some. Okay. But I was also young enough uh, where I was – I barely turned nine years old when I came to the U.S. So I was young enough to wear – I do remember, by the way, sitting in fourth grade and staring at the teacher, having no idea what she was saying yeah. for the first few weeks. And then uh, a few months in, I, I started picking it up. And then uh, a few months after that, it, it's it's just kids are resilient. They're able to adapt much quicker than you and I yeah. would be able right. to now. I'm sure if I tried to learn a different language now, I'd have a horrible accent. It'd yeah. be terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but as a child, you know, you, you adapt faster than, than you would as an adult. Back to the school choice issue and uh, school choice movement and education reform question that you are uh, so deeply attached to, if I might, Speaker Toma. There was a lot of resistance to it, and it was resistance I never quite understood because it did seem to me that if children and their education was the community's first concern, why would you want to deprive? Why would you want to deprive families and children, especially those on the lower parts of the economic ladder, those very options? We ran up, we who are involved in the education reform effort, we ran up against hardened resistance, though. What explains that resistance? Is it, uh, is it, well, I'll just, I won't prejudice the jury. What explains the resistance to it? You know what? I have a commercial break. I'll let you answer it on the other side. Is that okay? That works. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, Ben Toma. Follow him on, tw- on Twitter, at Rep Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Privileged and honored to have Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, the Honorable Ben Toma, in studio with me. Uh, Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. He got a message during the break uh, from a friend of his and a fan of this show's. We'll do a shout-out to uh, listener James. Thanks for thanks for listening, James. Uh, Speaker Toma, we're talking about your work in school choice and education reform. I was asking you, what explains the resistance to it? It seems like such a common sense notion. And I have to tell you, it also seems like a progressive notion for those that believe that the education system is the one thing that can help move people up the rungs of the ladder, 
regardless of the station they were born in. What explained the resistance that you still get on this issue? Well, I think, first of all, whenever you're doing something new, it's and especially something big, it's a big change, it, people are going to react negatively because people are inherently afraid of change. Okay. Uh, so there's that, just the human nature thing. But really, the, the opposition was from two, two ends of the spectrum. Uh, on 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 the left, I think the the challenge seems to be that they they firmly believe that that the state knows better, mm-hmm. and um, and that it, as a matter of fact, I remember when I first got the idea of pushing for this uh, in 2022. That is, I was actually in D.C. just so happened to be there um, when uh, when the Virginia elections were going on, and and Youngkin had just was about to win. I didn't know that at the time, but was about to win, and I just remember thinking that his opponent said that basically said that out loud mm-hmm. but that is the, the 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 ethos that is what they believe that ultimately that the experts and the state knows what's better for your child that, this is a big this this theme is and I'm sorry to interrupt but this theme has become hugely uh, hugely uh extrapolated even from beyond that race i think it was Terry McAuliffe who said that in the debate he said that the parents should not have a say on their children's education. You've now heard that from the head of the teachers' union. You've heard it from Joe Biden at least three times, Correct. that when the students are in our schools, they're not your kids, they're ours. That's a frightening concept. Well, then again, that's that, for me, that, that went you right understood back to it. communism, yes, right? It's like, you well, understood. no, they, they, right. state. the children belong to the state. Everything belongs to right. the state. And, and so that, that should be hugely worrisome right. for any parent because— it, you know that that aside for a moment, I just okay. also want to point out. Sure. I mentioned to you earlier, we've got five girls, and they're all different. As a matter of fact, we have twins. Number three and four are twins, and they're they're fraternal twins. They're night and day different in terms of just the way they're wired, the way they look. They actually look more different than each other than everyone else. And and in what one is interested in doing, the other one is not. One is really kind of a book smart and interested in in, in doing things by the book and, and is very diligent in that sense. The other one's very artistic and couldn't care less unless we sort of forced her to to, to, to focus on those things. But it, the point is... A regimented school system designed for a one-size-fits-all will fail one of those children. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Or actually, we'll fail both. Okay. Because what ends up happening is you, you're always teaching to the, com- the lowest common denominator uh, in, order to, in order to make sure that everybody kind of makes right. it, right? right? And so that doesn't work. And by the way, this is not a new criticism. That's been a criticism for a long time. As a matter of fact, I still remember I read um, uh, Screw Tape Letters by Lewis. And at the beginning of the book, this was years and years ago, before I was involved in politics or anything else, but at the beginning of the book was a rec- was an article that he wrote that was actually published here in the United States. I want to say it was The Atlantic. might have been the journal. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But he was basically trashing our one-size-fits-all right. uh, education system for those exact reasons. Right. And so it, it doesn't work. Any parent knows that has more than one child that they're different. And that what works for one may not work for the other. And, of course, there are commonalities because we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. But, but there are things that are different, and you have to tailor them. If you want to make the most out of your child, if you want them to be well-adjusted, if you want them to be successful, you, the education choice is just the only logical solution. The idea that this country spends so much money on K-12 education, elementary and secondary education, astounds most people when I mention it to them. The per-pupil per expenditures are one thing, but collectively we spend between uh, over $850, almost $900 billion a year in this country on on education, all in K K-12. 
It's amazing how low our results are, sir. It's amazing how mediocre at best we do. And we're seeing now the scores actually declining. For years, those of us in education reform were lamenting that scores were flat. The money always went up, but the outcomes, the achievement levels remain flat. Past year or so is the first time that flat line changed, but not north, south. And I wonder when we come back, this was a short segment, we'll have a longer one coming back on the other side of this break. I wonder if we can just talk a little bit about our achievement levels in the United States of America, that we're not getting what we're paying for. And I want to come back to that paternalism issue, too, um, and the understanding that was inherent and endemic to you when you hear people like Terry McAuliffe or Randy Weingarten or Joe Biden say things like, they're not the parents' kids, they're our kids. We'll do both of those things with uh, Speaker of the House Ben Toma, Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives Ben Toma, when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth, and I am privileged to have with us for the hour uh, Speaker of the House, the Arizona House of Representatives, the Honorable Ben Toma, T-O-M-A. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rep Ben Toma. We were talking education, uh, sir, and I was just talking with you before the break that for all the money we spend on education, so many of us have been pulling out our hair that our scores never really increased. They were pretty much flat, 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 flat. And then that did change over the past year and a half, but it went the wrong way. They went down, particularly in areas that we think of as foundational or fundamental, particularly in math, particularly in reading. Why Why does a country spend $900 billion a year to get lower and lower outcomes? Well, that's a very good question. And the if you ask the, the left on this, their answer is always, well, we need more money. You're right. underfunding education. Uh, you need to you need to fully fund education, and then results will be better. Except, of course, as you correctly pointed out, we continuously increase funding, and yet the results don't don't happen. Now, I think that the decline for the last year year and a half is, I mean, it's pretty much directly related to COVID and the fact that really school was a joke for a lot of a lot of district schools nationwide during that time. But I do find it ironic now that the left is now trying to make this point that that school choice is is irresponsible and is going to bankrupt the state. Yeah, address yourself to that. Yeah, because it's going to cost $900 million or something like that. First of all, that's in a vacuum, so that's an unfair uh, statement. Um, The truth is that that these kids are getting educated one way or another already. Um, And and, and the the truth also is that the average ESA amount is $7,000 a child, or roughly $7,000. The average per pupil funding, when you look at all sources – for uh, for district schools is fourteen thousand dollar a yeah. child uh, or more depending on what district you're in because some have overrides and some have bonds and so on and uh, and then the average per per charter school is about fourteen thousand as well for public charter schools and so it's like if you do nothing else very basic math would tell you that if you're spending seven thousand versus fourteen thousand the seven thousand option is cheaper now of course there are games played because part of this whole thing is that the fact that we have such a complex formula in terms of the way we fund public schools um, and, and education in general in our state it leads to part of the confusion and so uh, but when you look at the total I mean the, the impact of taxpayer to your wallet is the number that I just um, threw out there look it's it's what is the, in, the definition of insanity? You do the same thing and you expect a different result. We've been doing this system the way it's been. We continuously increase the funding, and yet and yet 
the results, to your point, are just not there. And yet we expect that somehow by increasing funding even more, then uh, then 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 we're gonna we're gonna somehow, you know, have a different result. It's it's insanity, really. What we need to do is is break that cycle, and give people options. And actually, one of the thing one of the things uh, that that is a that is a kind of a another bonus that people don't even think about when it comes to having school choice is that often it actually provides uh, kind of an insurance policy against um, against ideological craziness yeah. within the, the K-12 system because these schools can't focus on, you know, crazy DEI-type programs anymore. They can they now have to realize that if, if they continue to do that and they're not teaching the kids the basics the way they're they're supposed to be learning them, you know, um, that reading, writing, comprehension, uh, math, and so on, then science, of course, then parents will take them out and send them to an educational choice and put them in a, in a program that will teach them those things. And so Public schools, district schools can now go back to the basics and can say and can defend themselves against the ideological push of the left and, and say, no, we're, we're going to stick to the basics. Uh, Representative Toma, Speaker Toma, do you think that the left in this country views the schools separately than you and I perhaps view the schools? I, I, I get the sense there's two, two views of education in this country, the kind that I think my listeners by and large would support and that I support, which is teaching them their basics, teaching them a little bit about science, a little bit about geography, a little bit about history, a little bit about reading and math as, 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 as one view of education. But I get the sense, and I think a lot of us woke up to this during COVID particularly, not me, but a lot of parents woke up to this during COVID when they were looking at the curriculum of their students, that the left may have a very, very different view of education, for lack of a better word, that education is there really to propagandize and to and to invest children at the youngest age possible with a worldview that is um, political, a, a political worldview that not only to inject politics into the children, whether it's on race, gender, or or economics, but also with a particular bent. Do you get the sense that you're up against that with the left and the parts of the left have that view of our education system? Well, it, it's hard to say anything but that okay. because, as I said before, the, the left does believe, and this is a legitimate viewpoint of, of theirs, and I happen to think they're wrong, but they believe that, that the state knows better. Yeah. And and so if you believe that, right. then of course the role of, of of a state school or a state run school is to indoctrinate and to ensure that you propagate that system further and further and that you 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 know you raise citizens, future voters that are gonna that are gonna vote to to, to self to self uh, continue to propagate that system further, yeah, right? right. Self perpetuate, correct. Uh, that system further. Now I don't think this should be about systems. I think from my perspective, and I assume you, you think the same, that, that really this is about teaching kids the basics, teaching them uh, to think critically, to make decisions for themselves. I mean, if you believe in freedom and you believe uh, in, in, in the ideals that this country was founded upon, then then you have to respect someone else's um, perspective. But you can't do that if they don't have one and mm -hmm. if they just all kind of share the same one that you've the, the one size fits all kind of we all make little little carbon copies of, of 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 the previous generation, and that's where I think the real tell is because of that that line that you were talking about and I was talking about in the previous segment where you started to hear people like Terry McAuliffe, who I remind people was not only the previous governor of Virginia but the former head of the Democratic National Committee or the President of the United States Joe Biden or the heads of the teachers' unions, saying that this is not 
about saying that parental input is irrelevant to us. The students are ours. The children are ours. And as that resonated with you as someone who grew up in a communist in a communist country, you get this sense the father is the the children's father in communist countries is not their biological father. It is the head of state, Father Fidel, Father Joe. You know, it's that kind of it's that kind of notion. Whereas most of us who understand successful education institutions, successful schools, actually welcome parental involvement. That's one of the signs of a good school, actually, is welcoming parental involvement. It's really the last thing the left wants, isn't it? Well, it is, and there is a certain irony there because they they will admit that that um, that that having family or having a good family environment is a good thing. I mean, every every reasonable human being will admit that, and yet they want to divorce the parents from uh, from the involvement of their kids, and they say, okay, you know, from eight to three or whatever the time is, they're ours, and the rest of the time they're yours. I, I just don't see that that works. And as a matter of fact, I think it's it's the fault of parents to some extent for allowing this to have happened to, to, at the level of which it's happened up to this point. And I think you're right. Parents are starting to see that this is not okay. By the way, this is not a partisan issue. Democrat parents want school choice, yeah. 70 to 30. That's right. That's a very good point. In fact, the most successful beginnings of the school choice movement started with people that were not traditionally Republicans in exactly. places like Milwaukee. Well, Representative Toma, Speaker Toma, I hope you'll come back. It goes very fast. I hope your maiden voyage here would would encourage you to come back and join us again. It's been a delight having you. Happy to. Thank Thank you. you. I'm Seth. I'll be back with a closing thought. Think about the economy. You have uh, stock market volatility. Today we got news that inflation is on the rise again. You still have speculation about a recession and you have banks failing. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve? None of that stuff. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, where you can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. That kind of freedom. Why Refi has that investment? There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio offered up by Why Refi. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out and invest. Whyrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y then R E F Y dot com, or give them a call at eight 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 Y Refi thirty four eight 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 Y Refi. 34. They're based here locally, and uh, you are free. They welcome you to stop by their offices if you like. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. They leave the selling up to me. No one's going to give you a sales pitch over there. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. But when you meet with them, you'll see why I trust and like them so much. A delight having Speaker Toma, and it's a delight to highlight some of our local uh, legislative and indeed philosophical Heroes, I'm sometimes accused of not doing a local enough show. I've always said I don't have a local show. I have a national show that's based here locally. But when we find these uh, these rare gems in our in our state, we like to uh, promote and propel them as much as possible. And he's someone worthy of promotion and propelling. He's quite right that C.S. Lewis, more than anything else, was consumed with the proper education and upbringing of our children, and equally consumed with what happens when they are not properly educated. Uh, A line of his from The Abolition of Man, 
which uh, I think should be the instruction of our age. Well, first of all, I think the title of that book should be instructional for our age, The Abolition of Man. Um, You think we're not going through that right now? Uh, But in that Abolition of Man book, he says, by starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. For famished nature will be avenged, and a hard heart is no infallible protection against a soft head. You understand what he's saying there, don't you? By robbing our children of wisdom and smarts and intelligence, it makes easy prey for the propagandist. And, um, well, I guess again, to quote a man for all seasons, I show you the times. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 